December 2017. Nadia Atwi's vehicle is discovered wedged into some bushes at a park near her home. Just want to tell her that I love her. Come back today. I would forget about what happened. But Nadia is never seen again. If I go back, I would react differently, but I didn't know. The next call, the case of Nadia Atwi, available now on the CBC Listen app and everywhere you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, I'm Tamara Kendacker. So I don't love starting the episode this way, but last week was a terrible week for Canadian media. Google and Meta, the parent company of Instagram and Facebook, both announced their plans to block links to stories from Canadian media outlets, which means if these plans go through, when you Google something, your search results wouldn't include links from places like the Toronto Star, the Globe and Mail, or the CBC. This is in response to the Canadian government's Online News Act, formerly known as Bill C-18. It just became law, and it's designed to help the financially struggling news industry by making these tech giants pay for news stories posted on their platforms. Also last week, it came out that Post Media, which owns brands including the National Post and Nordstar, the company that owns the Toronto Star and many other smaller newspapers, are talking about merging. They say they're trying to create greater scale so they can respond to the existential threat facing the media industry. But critics are worried about what this merger would mean for access to news and the diversity of perspectives in journalism. Chris Waddell is a professor at the School of Journalism and Communication at Carleton University, and he's on the show today. We're going to talk about what Google and Facebook refusing to share Canadian links could mean for the country's news industry and the country that relies on it, what Post Media and Nordstar joining forces could mean for the average news consumer, and whether the Canadian government's approach is helping or hurting. Hi, Chris. Thanks so much for doing this. Thanks very much. So the Online News Act, it was supposed to be the thing that fixed the financial problems that news companies in Canada have by making Google and Facebook pay news outlets to publish links to their content. But now it looks like this plan may end up doing the opposite and that it's backfired a bit. So can you just explain the turn that things took last week? Sure. In part, some of it is that people have been warning the government for quite a while that the plan wouldn't work. Uh, The government thought that it would, but Facebook and Google have both been saying for quite a while that if the legislation passes, they will then stop carrying Canadian news and information on on their sites. So the legislation passed. First, uh, Facebook has been saying this for several weeks. But the way the bill is drafted doesn't allow for negotiations outside the framework of the legislation. So there are no negotiations currently. Uh, We are proceeding towards ending the availability of news permanently in Canada. 
Um, we wish we weren't here, but we are here. And there is really nothing at this point that's going to alter that trajectory. What, what makes Last week, Google said it as well. The issue for Facebook and Google is Canada is not a large market for them. So what happens here isn't a financial issue for them, but they're afraid that if Canada passes this law and this law takes effect, then other countries will follow. And the precedent that Canada sets could be more damaging to Facebook and Google further down the road. Google has said it will start blocking Canadian news links on its search news and discover products. And yeah, like what, what does this mean in a practical sense? What it's going to mean in a practical sense is that it's not going to be, it's not, you can't be used Facebook and Google to find uh, news stories. News organizations have used Facebook primarily to post their stories for quite a while. And that will be more difficult to find, if not impossible to find. It's still not clear exactly who is going to be uh, identified as a news organization. So it's all still kind of fairly nebulous. And Google has said um, they're still hoping that the regulations that will be put out will allow them to change what their current plans are now. So we're in kind of a, a, a holding pattern till we see, first of all, how the government plans to uh, introduce regulations to try to, to implement the legislation. And the legislation is not supposed to come into effect for six months. Uh, and then we'll have to see if the two social media companies decide that the regulations as they're published are not what they're afraid they're going to be and that they may change their view. So we'll, we're going to have to wait for a while to see. But the end result could be that there will be less or no Canadian news on, on both Google and Facebook. Right. And it's worth noting that we're still going to be able to see international news on Facebook and Google. So things like BBC or CNN, those links will still be posted. I, I wonder, I, I know you, you mentioned that there's still this regulatory process that we have to go through, but do we know anything about what this would mean in terms of being able to share links privately? Because Facebook has a messenger service, Google has Gmail. Do we know anything about that at this point? Not really. It's really going to be, we're really going to have to wait and see what the regulations are and actually see what the implications are if Facebook and Google actually go ahead and do what they say they're going to do. How mm -hmm. you make a good point about you still may be able to share some, but in fact, the, one of the big users in sharing news has been news organizations themselves. Uh, they post a lot of stories on Facebook because they, that gets then uh, into a broader audience and people may click on it and see it. So, so news organizations in part will be big losers if in fact this happens. Not only will they have lost the revenue because if Facebook and Google decide that they aren't going to have Canadian news on their sites anymore, obviously there's no revenue to distribute back to the news organizations and they're losing a primary way that they are able to broaden their appeal beyond their own news organization and their website to try to attract other people. It, this is actually has a fairly long history. And for quite a while, news organizations were thrilled to be able to post their stories on Facebook and to have mm -hmm. their material on Google as well. And they did that because they thought it would, it, it, it not only thought, it did, it would drive people to their own news sites, whether it be the Globe and Mail, the Toronto Star, the National Post, or, or a local publication. And then the news organization would be the beneficiary of the, uh, of the people that have been driven to the site, and there's ads on those uh, news organization sites, their, their audience numbers would go up and their advertising revenue would, would be all right. The problem turned out to be that once people were driven to a news organization site, they'd read the story that they had originally seen on Facebook or on Google, but they wouldn't hang around on that news site. So the benefit that news organizations thought they were going to get from having the traffic driven to them, in fact, has turned out not to be true. And, and at the same time, news organizations have done very little 
to try to encourage people to stay on those site, their sites once they show up there. In a lot of cases, the, the news sites aren't particularly well designed. In other cases, you've got to wade through three or four ads if it's a video in order to be able to see something. So on some levels, it's not surprising that people only look at the one story and then they leave. But rather than actually try to fix their own sites, they decided that they would try to force government to force Google and Facebook to pay them for mm -hmm. the fact that the advertising's disappeared. And that's where we kind of have been for the last two or three years. Now the bill's finally passed and uh, we'll see exactly what it means. I just wanted to, to recap something that you said earlier, which is Google and Facebook, they're saying that they don't want to comply with this legislation because publishers benefit from sharing content on their platforms, whereas news isn't really valuable to them at all. And they're opposed to this legislation because they say that this law could force them to pay unlimited amounts of money for uh, the sharing of links on their platforms. We send millions of visitors to their sites for free. Google News costs us millions to operate, yet it delivers zero revenue. If we must pay publishers simply for linking to their sites, making us lose money with every click, it would be reasonable for us or any business to reconsider why we would continue to do so. But the government's rationale is that Facebook and Google control most of the online ad market, and they are making a lot of money from the sharing of links because it's keeping people on their platforms and they're selling the ads. Uh, definitely these two, because they're dominant, they have 80% of all the revenue, uh, the advertising revenue uh, every year. So that's, that's a huge amount of money going to them and not to our traditional media, not to the real newsrooms across the country. What, Google what do you make of that? And how are we supposed to understand the two sides of this argument? Well, I think probably there's a little bit of, a, of, uh, of untruth perhaps in both sides. Certainly Google and Facebook uh, do make money from the ads that appear on their sites. Uh, they make money from uh, because they place ads directly on their sites, and then people who see the the story that's been posted on the on the Facebook or Google site um, may see the ads as well. So there is some money being there made there. The other side of it, though, is, is what I mentioned earlier, which is that Facebook and Google really uh, aren't concerned about the Canadian market all that much. They're concerned about precedents being set. And uh, Australia tried to do this several years ago. Uh, Canada is now trying to do it, and other countries are talking about doing it as well. So they're concern is really that a Canadian law, if it goes into effect and money is then start to be transferred to news organizations, other countries will try to do the same thing. From the government's point of view, it's a little bit disingenuous in talking about Google and Facebook making the money. Google and Facebook made the money initially because advertising that used to be in news organizations was all has been disappearing for quite a while, for over 10 years now. It's been moving to online, it's been moving to other ways, and news organizations have been unable to replace that income. And so government makes the argument that Facebook and Google, because they've designed a better system for advertising, should be forced to pay money to the news organizations. That's a contentious argument, and not all news organizations in Canada agree with it. There are a lot of news, new news organizations that have, uh, that have, that have started up online only, not the traditional uh, uh, print that, we're, that most of this has been in discussion about. And they, they're doing quite a bit better because they have a different strategy and a different approach to, to working with Google and Facebook than perhaps the mainstream media have. Mm -hmm. So 
I've seen this move by Google and Facebook described by politicians and by journalists as bullying. Essentially, people are saying that these companies are brazenly sort of disrespecting the government's attempt to check their power. The fact that these internet giants would rather cut off Canadians' access to local news than pay their fair share is a real problem. And now they're resorting to bullying tactics to try and get their way. And, and Meta, uh, Google, they all know that my door is always open. They have my cell phone. So um, I'm open to discussions, but, uh, but I will not accept threats like that. That's unacceptable. What do you make of that? What does it say about the power that these companies have that they can just decide, all right, no more links to Canadian news here? They, uh, they have the power because they designed a better system for advertising than the media had. Now, advertising, if you're an advertiser, advertising on Facebook or Google is cheaper than it is in, in mainstream media. You can target it more directly because you can target it to people with a certain IP address. So you can target it to, a, if you're an advertiser buying an ad, you can target it to a certain region or a certain community. Uh, mainstream news organizations aren't able to do any of those things. They've been outsmarted in the advertising business and they don't like the fact they've been outsmarted and they haven't figured out a way to actually get around that. So mm -hmm. that's kind of where we are at the moment. Hey, it's Jeff Blair. And I'm Kevin Barker. Join us for in-depth coverage on everything surrounding the Toronto Blue Jays and the biggest stories across Major League Baseball with the best guests in the game and, of course, first-class analysis. Ha! That's the smartest thing you've ever said, Jeff. See what I have to put up with? It's Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. So let's pivot a little bit because there was also other really big news in media last week. One of the criticisms of C-18 has been that it doesn't address the problem of concentration of ownership in the media. And I feel like it's worth noting that because last week there was another piece of news that shows the industries heading even further in that direction. It came out that Postmedia and Nordstar, which is the company that owns the Toronto Star and and a number of other papers, they're talking about merging. And these are Canada's two biggest players in newspapers. What do you make of that proposed merger? Well, it's, going, it's interesting to see what's going to happen. Uh, the way it's being set up is Toronto Star is being separated from all the rest of what might be merged. And as you noted, the, the uh, North Star owns the Toronto Star. It also owns about 70 community papers under the Metroland banner and also owns other papers, mostly in southern Ontario. Uh, everything except the Toronto Star would then be merged with Post Media, which also has its own community division and its own uh, larger community newspapers like Calgary Herald, Ottawa Citizen, Montreal Gazette. Toronto Star would retain, stay as a separate entity. And that may give the Toronto Star a better chance of surviving because it can then sell, it's got a large area in which it can sell online uh, subscriptions. And the big challenge for news organizations is to persuade people to buy subscriptions and that can keep them alive. For the rest of everything else, I suspect that if it follows the trend of what we've seen with post media, as it's made several attempts to try to, to try to survive in the last few years by merging or taking over other entities, if this goes through, it will take the properties it gets from the Toronto Star, 
integrate them with their own properties. And we'll probably see more news organizations shutting down as an attempt is made to try to uh, consolidate things in an area where there may have been four or five community newspapers. Maybe there'll only be one that will now serve that whole geographic, larger geographic area. The problem with that, of course, is that, that audiences then see that what used to have a lot of local news in their own community paper now has much more regional news and not so much local news. And they start to say, well, why, why are we spending our time buying this or reading this when it doesn't really have news that affects me uh, in my own community? And that's been the trend on the last few years for post media. And there's nothing in this proposed deal that suggests that that would be any different in the future. Right. And but that's, I guess, what they've been claiming would happen as a result of this merger. They're saying that they want to merge because then they could pool their resources and they would have less debt, which would mean better access to news for people across the country. But you're saying that there isn't really anything to guarantee that that would happen, right? There's not really anything that would guarantee that happened. You're right. Post Media has a huge debt load at the moment. And the proposed deal, at least what we know of the proposed deal, would see that debt converted to equity. So people who hold the debt at the moment would get shares in the bigger Post Media. It still, that doesn't stop Post Media from losing money. And they've been losing money for quite a while now, in part because of the interest cost. It's true. But they've also been losing audience. And their audience has been going down consistently. So fewer and fewer people think that the product that's being produced is worth reading. And that's partly because um, what we've seen over the last few years is uh, as advertising has moved away from newspapers and their, their websites to Google and Facebook, news organizations have responded by cutting the number of reporters they have. So when they cut the number of reporters and editors, that means the news organization is producing fewer stories and the stories may not have the same depth because some of the people being lost may be people who are specialist reporters or people who are long-term employees and have the the perspective and the context and the history that you need in order to tell uh, good stories and to hold people accountable in communities as well. As the number of stories declines, the next phase is people look at it and say, well, there's not the stories here that I used to see. Mm -hmm. Why am I still paying or subscribing? And then circulation falls. Advertisers then say, well, we're not going to pay as much money as we used to pay because there's not as many people reading this. So they cut back further on the advertising. They're still buying with the news organization, which leads to another round of cutting reporters, less stories, fewer readers, et cetera, et cetera. And that's the spiral that we've been in for the last five or six years. There's nothing in this deal at the moment from what we know of it that, that indicates that anyone is prepared to reverse that spiral by maybe hiring more reporters, trying to do more news, trying to maybe decide that you can't be everything to everyone and you have to be more narrowly focused in order to survive. The, the other thing that I feel like is worth mentioning, there was a very emotional reaction to this online last week because a lot of people never thought they'd see the day that a paper like The Star, which has always been this bastion of progressive journalism, would become tied to post media. And you mentioned that The Star would be a separate entity. What would this deal mean for the Toronto Star and for the diversity of perspectives in news more generally? The star is being split off because when Jordan Bitoff and, and his original partner, Paul Rivette, bought the star and bought Torstar in, with the Nordstar Capital, they committed themselves to what were called the Atkinson principles. The editorial philosophy that's kind of governed the star right from its uh, days in the 1930s and so when it was run by Joseph Atkinson. So I think by hiving the star off as a separate entity, I think you're going to see um, Mr. Bitoff try to continue following those principles and keeping the paper in the ideological position, which is either small L or big L liberal, depending on, on, on year to year, 
stay with those and and because that's been the bread and butter of their paper and so they will keep that the question is what will happen to all the rest of the papers that didn't necessarily have to follow those same principles uh and had some degree of independence before they'll now be moved in with post media which is the opposite of the the um small l uh or big L liberal, it's small C or big C conservative. And, and they've been quite willing in the past to have all their papers reflect that, uh, that conservative point of view. So we'll have to see what happens on that end. But I think the star, I think the star itself may in fact even be in a better spot on its own rather than having all the rest of it, uh, of the other papers tied into it if they're all losing money. Another bleak development from last week that I wanted to touch on briefly on the broadcast side of things is Bell Media, the owner of CTV, laid off about 1,300 people last month, and they're also looking to pull back on their commitments to local news. What's going on on that front? Are they facing the same kinds of issues as newspapers with declining ad revenues and trying to compete with the tech giants, or is there something else at play there? Uh, there's a couple of things at play. That's certainly one thing. Advertising uh, on television has been going down as audiences have been moving away from television. And that means less advertising revenue, as we talked about before. The other thing that's happening, though, is the, the basic business model for private television in Canada has been to do news and information on local communities and then largely do um, buy American programming and run it in the evenings from seven o'clock to 11 o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. Then you do local news at night. The private broadcasters have made most of their money from the advertising on those dramatic programs, comedy programs, entertainment programs, more recently, uh, some quote unquote reality shows. But what's happening is the producers of those programs in the United States are saying, well, we've always licensed these to broadcasters in Canada, but maybe we shouldn't keep on doing that. Maybe we'd be better off to just put them on our own streaming services or license them to a global streaming service. And that way, we'll have a much bigger audience and we can get a lot more money for our programming. The problem that creates for Bell and for Global as well is that uh, they would lose significant amounts of advertising they now still have. And the second part is they would have to find program to replace that programming and finding the other programming costs money. So they're both losing money and have to spend more money. Mm -hmm. And so what they're trying to do is say that we have to cut back in how much we spend on news. And they make arguments that they're losing a lot of money on news. Well, they've always lost money on news. Uh, News is not a money-making proposition. And it's also important to note, I think, that, that Bell's parent company, BCE, um, Bell Canada Enterprises had, had a first quarter profit of three quarters of a billion dollars, seven hundred, just a little more than 750 million. So it, the CRTC is going to face a very interesting question about do broadcasters have any sort of public responsibility or public duty to the communities that they've served? And if that's the case, then maybe the fact that they're losing money at the moment might suggest they need to be subsidized by their parent company in a different way. We'll see how it plays out. It's going to be a very difficult decision for the CRTC. So we'll see where that comes down. As someone who watches the industry closely and studies it, it's kind of a big question, but what's your sense of what all of these shifts are doing to the quality of Canadian news? There's no question that there's been a decline in the quality of Canadian news, the breadth and the quality 
And some in some communities, there's been almost no news now when there used to be news before. So, and that's the result of the, all the, the squeezes and changes and layoffs that we, we mentioned earlier. The other part of it, though, the part that we haven't talked much about is there are news organizations out there that have new approaches and new ideas and are actually doing quite well. Um, I can point to one is called Village Media, which is uh, started in Ontario, moving into communities where the local newspaper had shut down. Um, they've hired uh, they've hired some of the reporters that used to work in those communities. They're only online. They're not trying to print anything, so they don't have any of the printing and distribution costs. Mm-hmm. And they're now in a bunch of communities in Ontario and and a lot of other places. And are also working with Facebook and Google, and are very much opposed to the whole of C eighteen. The other thing that's happening is that the new entities that are starting out and are being successful tend to be ones that are focusing on one or two issues rather than trying to cover the the whole range from uh, national, international, local, sports, entertainment, uh, lifestyle, et cetera, et cetera. Some of our traditional news organizations have been have done uh, and and having a much more focused approach lets their reporters become much more knowledgeable about the issues they're covering and the quality of the journalism they're producing has led to people saying, this material is very good and better than anything I can find anywhere else, and so I'm going to subscribe. So we've got publications out there like the Narwhal, National Observer, the Tai in British Columbia. Uh, there's a bunch of others as well that are that are not nearly as big as the old ones, but it's not all a disaster and it's not the whole world falling in on itself. It's yeah. part of a it's part of a big transition, and we're in the midst of the transition at the moment. And I think it's possible that uh, when we're in a transition, sometimes you need the old established entities to fail and get out of the way to let new people come in and take their place. Until it's happened and the new people have arisen and and started up, it's hard to think that things might actually be okay. But there are some opportunities and there are people with ideas and with a bit of money that want to take advantage of those opportunities. So while it's it's bad on the big picture, we're in a period of, of upheaval and change and the result of it all may not be as bad as it appears when night is at its darkest. Yeah, that's that, that's good to hear. I, I love um, I love the optimism. So, so, given this reaction from Google and Facebook, the government may find out that C eighteen is not going to work the way that they wanted it to. And so, if C eighteen isn't the fix, what do you think is? Um. Well, I think the first, the first, uh, and 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 most direct thing is to let things play out and see what actually happens. Some of the news organizations had already set up deals with Facebook and Google. Uh, Also, if we start to see some news organizations actually completely shut down, that creates opportunities for for new organizations to come along. Facebook and Google still provide a lot of exposure to news or news stories by the fact that they run them on their site and people click on the links and go to the news site. News organizations' challenge is to figure out how to keep the people there. And so far, they've been unable to do that, but that doesn't mean that's impossible. And that's something they have to do as well. Mm-hmm. So, so essentially, are you suggesting that the government shouldn't do anything to bail out these companies? But the government has already done a lot to bail out these companies. It's, it's spent almost $600 million on labor subsidies and on, on, on also on a, a small subscription um, subscription um, tax rebate if you subscribe to an online digital publication. That money was given out to news organizations with no requirement that news organizations do anything. And what we've seen in the four or five years since that happened is continued contraction, continued shutdown, continued layoffs, and shrinkage and and more shrinkage. Um, I'm not sure that 
government is actually the right organization to try to respond to a fluid situation with a uh, with policies that aren't particularly fluid and are fixed in time. So I think it's better to actually wait and see where the chips fall and what actually happens. Chris, thank you so much for unpacking all of this with me. I really, really appreciate it. Sure. Thanks very much. That's all for today. I'm Tamara Kandacker. Thanks for listening to FrontBurner. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.